Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll give you 20 minutes or so of our thoughts on matters of the moment. We're going to pick up on three stories we've written about in much more detail for our Hotel Analyst perspective subscribers. If you'd like to take a closer look at that, then please do pop along to hotelanalyst.co.uk where you can find out more. So the first topic we're going to have a look at this week is uh, more SPAC flotations, a flurry of listings towards the end of the year uh, as uh, travel companies look to gather in funds and get ready to look for the opportunities that 2022 will present as the uh, pandemic washout uh, continues. Uh, One of those listing is a company called Selena which uh, lists a a trendy accommodation for millennials and Gen Zs. Uh, There's also the B2B travel agency uh, called American Express Global Business Travel. Gen Zs, Gen Zs, stop it, stop it with the Americans. Oh, sorry. Oh, dear, oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, uh, and and what else we got? Um, There was also Vacasa, or Vacasa, Vacasa, which is reversing into a uh, a SPAC vehicle as well. They quite like this i concept here i think we're going to hear a lot more about the play stay and work um concept uh, mm. leisure and workation and all sorts of horrible um iterations um thereafter um it, and it, the digital big, nomads oh my mm. goodness me yes yes now i'm you know i'm a little bit skeptical about how many people are are genuine digital nomads these kind of um rootless uh, workers that float around anywhere you like now i i don't think that's a very nice way to lead your life actually humans <laughs> like roots and they like to you know have mates and they like to have family and they like to have uh, you know work colleagues and all this kind of stuff and i think the thing is i think where it wins is you know it's, it's quite cool to be a digital nomad for a, a week or you know a few days you know on your business trip <laughs> and you can pretend to do that i i remember when uh, w hotels got going and you know they had all these super cool um uh, workers within within the hotels and all, all dressed i think it was armani or some designer label um was equipping equipping all the workers there and it was seen as a really groovy place to kind of hang out and you know you could pretend even though you were sort of sad and middle-aged you could pretend you were super young and hip and i think there is an element <laughs> of this with the digital nomad thing um so i am very far from the target demographic uh, uh for selena but i really do like the idea of what it's trying to create and this is the sense of community uh somewhere you can do a little bit of work as well you've got that co-working space in there you've got the community where you can find out what's going on um and 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 you've got this slightly groovier kind of atmosphere around the thing as well um so i i think that that is and that is appealing it does deliver on a whole whole number of things which existing accommodation office offers fail to deliver on um so i mean they they in in terms of their investor presentation at selena um they criticize global hotel brands um, because of their lack of remote work capabilities and what mm. they described as misaligned pricing although they didn't get into too many specifics on that but i presume it's uh, too expensive um is what they're they're claiming and they criticize hostels for limited amenities and poor guest experiences and they criticize short-term rentals as offering limited opportunity to connect with other people 
and inconsistent quality mm. and you know I, I agree with a lot of those criticisms actually um I, i'm not quite sure where they're going with the misaligned pricing piece but um i i, I get get pretty much the the rest of them um and i th i think what they have got here with this offer is something that's quite strong now I think the target demographic is quite right. They talk about the millennial and Gen Z traveller. Um, I get that, but I, I think the broader base has to include people, you know, of of our age, Chris. Chris, mm -hmm. shall I say? Um, partly, um, not necessarily if you're you're journalists like us, but say the so corporate lawyers and other people with 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 bigger incomes are, you know, have the cash to spend on travel, and so therefore that that they ought to be um you know ought to be part of this uh um you know the ideal target for them i mean it's interesting as well in the in the investor presentation who selena ranks as its rivals so moxie is in there the marriott brand mininger soho house and citizen m so there's an interesting range of um accommodation offers there um and you know as you go down the sort of tail of that they've got stuff like Ackles Joe and Joe and things like this as well in there um, and I think it's an interesting um, uh, niche business um, and if you look in terms of its valuation I don't think it's bonkers I mean there's a little bit of hope value but there's a lot of things like this are but uh, you know on 2022 numbers um, um, they they don't look overvalued um, so they they looked at uh, total enterprise value over 22 um, estimated revenue um, so they had Sonder um, 3.2 times IHG at 3.8 times Wyndham at 5.8 times Hilton at 5.8 times booking at 6.1 times and the outlier of airbnb at 18.0 times <laughs> we've spoken um, about that before <laughs> yes as i say regular listeners to this podcast will know our views on airbnb and it's um overvaluation um in our view um so i think it looks um to be an attractively priced um acquisition for for the spac that's bought it um BOA um so uh, you know by 2025 selena reckons it's going to have a revenue of 1.2 billion um it will have 102,000 beds i mean it's an interesting um niche business um it's a, has a solid proposition i think um and and you know some of the in other interesting bits it's got a subscription model going it's signed up more than uh, 2600 people to these these packages at 800 us dollars a month so a significant revenue line through that that subscription business which i think as we've talked about again on this podcast about how that's an interesting model i mean citizen m have dabbled in that and there's a few others out there i mean obviously soho house that's the basis of their offer as well the subscription piece so i think there is some strong um, elements within the business model of selena which um, if they can execute properly um, will we'll position it nicely i think party managers are gearing up for a busy 2022 um, there, there's been several Automations and mergers in the recent months and uh, one new deal that's just caught our eye is uh, the US investor Fortress Investment uh, taking a majority stake in an Irish company called Prem Group who are a third party manager as well as having uh, their own brands um, and that deal will enable them to step out much more broadly into mainland Europe and has given them cash to actually acquire properties which, which they will then manage 
under their own or other brands. Um, also to Frank Croston at Hamilton Hotel Partners, which uh, has merged uh, a while back with uh, an American partner, and that American partner has merged with another American partner. So uh, they're getting larger and larger. Um, he's been busy and he's looking forward to a much busier 2022, um, as he sees plenty of opportunities out there in the market. Uh, uh, Hamilton's recently uh, co-invested alongside uh, Zetland in a couple of ex-McDonald's hotels in the UK, one in Manchester, one in Edinburgh, which they're going to be rebranding. Um, but uh, there seems to be plenty of opportunity as landlords wonder what to do next and as hotel operator brands wonder uh, how they're going to sort out their balance sheet. These properties are getting uh, put up for sale and a uh, great opportunity for third-party specialists to come in and uh, get involved. Yeah, I mean, I think the notion that uh, there's going to be more consolidation in this third party operator space is absolutely right. Um, and just as you went to press with you, the story here, Chris, um, we had news that Ainbridge, the, the biggest third party player globally, um, own um, uh, perhaps interstate the perhaps better known brand this side of uh, the, the the pond as it were um, um but Ainbridge were buying prism uh, 48 hotels adding to the 1500 or so hotels that Ainbridge currently has under its on its books um, and we're going to see more and more deals like that I think earlier in the summer uh, Ainbridge bought a Mexican group Grupo Hotelero Prisma, um, yes, uh, perfect. Like my Spanish there, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, um, the uh, they've got forty-two hotels, and I think you know there's going to be not just deals in the U.S. but deals outside the U.S. as well. Um, as I think they look to have a, a true global footprint, and we're going to see more and more of this going on. I think, um, and th th there's been some debate uh, about whether it's how ideal it is to be super big as a third party operator some argue that actually being super big makes you more remote less responsive to the needs of the owner um, the thing is being larger actually gives you uh, better uh, access to technology better access to funding better access to to um, human resources mm. um, so and I think this clearly seems to be a stronger uh, suit than you know the, this notion of being smaller and more responsive. Uh, if you look at uh, Ambridge, they they said uh, and they, they issued a release over the summer that talked about how they'd um, responded to. Uh, what has been going on during the pandemic and how in some bits of its portfolio it had been able to drive a better RevPAR return by focusing on occupancy, um, noticeably uh, extended stay and uh, soft brands of others um, it has been a focus on rate that has driven that sorry and I should have said extended stay select serve and full service is where they they it was occupancy which is the key and the other verticals which were things like such as soft brands uh, rate was the the main thing they focused on to drive a better rev par index um, so it's that ability to be um, uh, have that in-house uh, expertise and the bigger you are the better that in-house expertise ought to be um, which can help drive uh, better returns for owners if you if you're able to flex and fit uh, appropriately so I, th I think so far it does look like the the biggest better 
um, argument is is being won over the small and focused argument um, and you know clearly our expectation is for for 2022 and beyond to see many more consolidation deals in this third party space now the italian hotel market's uh, something of an enigma um very very fragmented a lot of family-owned properties and as a result out of all the markets in europe it's probably the one that least penetrated by the brands um, and also the flip side of that is we we very rarely get to write about any major scale hotel deals in Italy but hey one's one's appeared um, it's um, uh, quite interesting in that it's the Spanish investors Azora who've uh, well they've been biding their time they've been making friends gently and have ended up uh, acquiring Blue Serena which is the country's second largest uh, operator of uh, resorts and tourist villages um, it's probably going to be the Italian market's biggest transaction of the year and it gives uh, Azora a, a, a great platform from which to build in the Italian market uh, they've got 13 hotels uh, or, or resorts to kick them off with 4,200 keys and interestingly they've also bought the um, operating business which includes a team of around 60 people um, and I was speaking to one of the guys from uh, Azora who told me that yeah they're, they're, they're delighted to be able to get have won this but they, they now believe that they're in quite a good position to start adding individual uh, assets um, because they've got you know a management facility now within the country uh, so uh, quite a bold move um, and a good breakthrough into what has otherwise been a very tricky market to get into yeah so azora raised um 815 million euros last september it gives it gave it a spending capacity of about 1.8 billion euros um, and it spent more than half of that already with this deal and it bought uh, a couple of tivolis and uh, another resort property in portugal um earlier um so it, it, it is going for it um, as a as a company um, as a fund. Um, it c came out of uh, it was the manager of the Spanish REIT, um, which was bought by um, Hispania Activos Inmobiliarios. Oh, there he goes again. More of my mm. Spanish coming through mm. there. Um, and that was bought by Blackstone, 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 Blackstone um, in 2018 for 2 billion euros. What I think is interesting about this deal is here you've got a, a dedicated hotel um, fund and they've got long routes in the space. Um, extended contacts in the space and this is clearly an enabler of deal flow I think you mentioned in your piece Chris how they've been in touch um, with the founding family of Blue Serena um, since 2018 and I think this is it came to a crunch almost certainly because uh, you know they were they were have been feeling it over the last couple of years through cash flow they need some funding 30 million euros is being made available to uh, reposition and uh, reinvest in in the portfolio and this is a deal that makes sense of Luce Reina they are keeping the opco in place in Italy, in the in the town where it, in the city where it was founded originally, Pescara, um, and I, I think you know that that's appealing to the founding family now in its second generation. There they've got a bunch of other businesses in the space, um, and not just a, a bunch of other businesses outside of hotels. Um, 
as well uh, um, uh, it appeals to them to sort of have some um, hand on the tiller still even though it's it's now entirely owned by Azora so I think if, if, if you've got the capacity the ability to be flexible with how you structure your deal you have those depth of contacts that long-term knowledge you can get things done um, but it does require these things and Azora has demonstrated it's got these these characteristics it's got these key qualities and it's been able to to push this this deal through um, I think it's harder it's not just a case of having a you know a trunk full of cash and turning mm. up on the doorstep of somebody uh, it's, it's got to be a bit it's a bit more sophisticated than yeah, that. Yeah, and also Azora is also spreading its wings and looking at opportunities in the United States too, because they've uh, they announced a joint venture uh, earlier this year where they're uh, a local contact uh, in Miami. Although he used to work for Banco Santander, so there's a Spanish connection there. Uh, but I won't be surprised if they're going to start buying hotels and some other kind of. Uh, uh, residential sector real estate before very long in the states too um one to watch our five star and no star awards and uh this week i'm giving five stars to the enterprising hotel sector uh here in the uk they are turning uh, a number of hotels into uh, sort of hospitals the uh the our famous national health service which every winter it seems has a crisis whether or not there is <laughs> covid about um always fills up with patients over christmas and is always desperate to get those who are convalescing uh out of the door quicker and here's a perfect solution which also covers off the whole issue of getting enough care staff at the moment um the health one of the health uh, regions has been booking uh whole hotels uh, you put the patients, the uh, the convalescing patients, on on some of the floors, and then you make another floor available for live-in care staff. It's a win all round. Yeah, I mean it's an excellent idea. I mean something like ten percent of NHS beds are um, occupied by people who don't need to be in them in a hospital. So it's a fantastic idea to get those those bed blockers out um, into a accommodation which is probably more appropriate for them and uh, certainly from a hospital point of view much more appropriate to and have the them the way. So per it's, head uh, well. yeah exactly and you know and I think I think we've had a few learning since the the early days of Covid where unfortunately there was a whole bunch of uh, people sent back to their care homes who mm. were Covid positive led to a terrible situation I mean the UK wasn't alone in that of course that happened I think pretty much um, around the world actually as people scrambled to free up space in in hospitals um, but th this is certainly a, a, a smart and idea, no stars Andrew you're awarding this week too Oh dear! How wrong oh, we were, dear. Chris, last week. Um, the You're horror all being so positive. Of, of, <laughs> yes, why we're business journalists and not political journalists? I think it's uh, we totally missed. We <laughs> we just weren't cynical enough about our no, glorious no. leaders, were we? <laughs> we thought they they wouldn't do it, but they have. They did go and do it, and they actually introduced uh, vaccine passports, um, and they introduced restrictions on further restrictions in terms of uh, more face masks um and um work from home as well so um we just thought it wasn't going to be very likely because it would have been truly humiliating for the politicians to do that um 
given that they've just sort of made themselves look very foolish by having Christmas parties and being exposed for having Christmas parties um, this time last year when they weren't meant to be having Christmas parties but they didn't seem to care and there is some there was some thought about um, it's interesting this notion of a dead cat which uh, um, so this is uh, it, it supposedly hails from Linton Crosby uh, the Australian political um, analyst and yeah. uh, advisor mm. strategist yes yeah, strategist he's, he's been um advised the conservative party at various times and uh, it's a bit like the old kgb tac uh, kgb tactics when they got into a problem they say comrade don't look at that and they created some um further dysfunction somewhere else which took that took the eyes off the original um problem and the idea of a dead cat is you sort of you've there's, there's some sort of problem going on and then you just throw a dead cat on the table and everybody says what's that on the table it's a dead cat um <laughs> and the idea is that this 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 whole uh uh yeah, announcement was because of that i'm not sure i buy that mm, even now i'm not well. that cynical about our leaders i i i do, I do think they're in a in a you know in a no-win situation in many ways um and they're damned if they do and damned if they don't and i think they did have to uh given how extraordinarily um excited the whole medical establishment has yet again become mm. um over this latest even as the south African COVID. doctor who, um, who first reported has, has said the UK authorities are in her opinion completely overreacting mm. yeah no they overreacted with uh, travel restrictions and they seem to be overreacting with this and you know I, th I think underlyingly there is still the prospect of really good news in that the more deadly version of covid delta is going to be wiped out by what looks increasingly like a less deadly version in omicron um we don't know that for certain but uh, there was a report uh, where somebody died um with omicron and um i can't remember which which um minister i think it was the health secretary um that said um we've had a we've had a fatality uh with omicron and then it sort of turns out that they that that person who died didn't really die of <laughs> covid as such or omicron they died because of some other underlying health um problem so um the actual I mean, you know, it's still the case, I believe, that nobody has died of this new variant anywhere in the world. Um, so, uh, and nobody has got, you know, very, very few um, hospitalizations and serious illnesses just because of um, Omicron. So, you know, fingers crossed that is the case, and certainly the case if you've had uh, um, your booster jab and all the rest of it. So, um, we will see. But I. I'm, I remain optimistic, and uh, I my sense is that come um, at some point early in January, it'll become clear that actually this has been a, a, a bunch of hype, really, yeah. to get us further jabbed up. No, ne not necessarily a bad thing, because I think what it does mean is that we can, you know, after Christmas, fully um, fully open up, and um, we can have a guaranteed much much better. And on that positive note, we'll say goodbye for now.